baby I was born to panic. Not run, as Bruce Springsteen would later confess. Not born to be wild. I think that's Steppenwolf. Was I born free? Well, I wasn't uh, a lion cub, and in any case, I was born free. I was privileged. I was born privileged. Back to Bruce now. I certainly wasn't born in the USA, as far as we know, anyway. Was I born this way? Thank you, Gaga. Probably, although I gave heterosexuality a good stab until it told me not to be so stupid, and there was a whole exciting other world of illegality out there on the streets. Go west, young man. Well, I went due south from North Wales, and it turned out okay after I'd turned right a bit, or was it left? I was a prolific bedwetter. It mystified my parents, and after a series of electronic buzzing things, devices that woke my parents and probably the house across the road, but not me, I whittled on until the tank was empty. My sister, decidedly a fairly unpanicky human and dry of bed as far as we knew, to this day, in fact, she slept on. I wasn't panic bedwetting, and I'm sure it was just laziness. I got used to it, coddled and swaddled in my safe single bed, falling asleep with me Enid Blyton still in my hand. This is nothing other than... Uh, my Enid Blyton book in my hand, a famous five book or a secret seven or a river of adventure or the faraway tree. I guess I was in that safe place, that other safe place, the back seat of the family car on holiday in Torquay or Babacombe or Blackpool. While the family was sploshing around in rock pools or queuing for ice cream or rock climbing, I was chubby and supine, or is it supine, nine years old, sweating on the back seat of Dad's Zephyr, boiling hot, sun beating down on the roof. Make sure you leave a window open a crack, said Dad. Woof, I replied, and re-entered the whole world of, well, 1930s childhood. Auntie Maud had bought me jolly tales for boys and girls and it was full of glorious adventures of children called Edna and Maureen and Violet and Colin. Oh, Colin. Probably my first crush. Here goes. I think it will be fun to go. It's nice of them to ask us, I said to Colin when the invitation came. Besides, so many people in the fourth form are going abroad these holidays. I'm rather glad we're going on some sort of journey. Muriel Stanford's people have all gone to Normandy, and I knew she'll say every minute yes, and when I was in Normandy, and at least I can say, oh, did you? And when we were in Wales, the only thing that people get so bored with last year, and when we were in Switzerland, that everyone stamped on the floor when she mentioned the word. So when something about Switzerland turned up in geography, I was rather in a dream, and I began to bang, 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 before I remembered. And Miss Carson said, what is it, Jane Dawson? It's an earwig. Don't do that. It's quite harmless. Cecily, who has the next desk rose to the occasion most nobly. She said, let's just run away, Miss Castle, and perhaps next year they'll all stamp when I mention Wales. Colin was not listening to this. He was sorting his flies. His flies, obviously a fishing thing, but not to a nine-year-old. Oh, and if I was almost at the end of the secret of Spiggy Holes in the car, do Google that fucker, Enid Blyton again, later to be fabulously parodied by Rick and Dawn and Jen and Aid, the beginnings of alternative comedy. That made me panic all over again. I was in dungarees at university, feeling quite dull and politically adrift. So, in the car, if I was at the climax of the adventure, and there was a friendly rap on the window, Dad, come on lad, I've got a quid's worth of pennies for the slots. Oh. My. God. Dad, it's a cliffhanger, it's spiggy holes, I'll follow you in. I'm nine. I don't gamble. Come on lad. And we go to the clamour, and the clap, and the lights of the slots. 
slots where panic was everywhere trying to read in at Blyton with one hand on my crisps tucked into my nylon shorts and watching my pennies shamefully piggybacking other pennies and creating a shamefully scientific penny weight ratio issue disabling any share facility I panicked because dad wanted me to win at everything no problem lad he gives the machine a quick nudge and the bronze pennies cascade into the tray below now go and buy yourself an Enid Blyton lad We'll be at the chippy. Moths. No, 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 no. Moths. I have changed hotel rooms because of moths. Panic? Oh, God, yeah. Not those tiny ones that eat fabric. The ones that forced my lovely friend Bibi Lynch out of her Manchester flat. You know that fabulous broadcaster, journalist, and the creator of Button Soup, which is a bowl full of very cheap, very good chocolate sweets. She's very short and very clever and very beautiful. These tiny moths have left her life now. She's in Brighton, or is it Hove? Tiny moths don't go there, obviously. No, no, no. Not the borrower moths, but the big, powdery, heavy-winged bastards that have tortured and taunted me from childhood, my childhood in Wales, and now to adulthood. Whenever it's warm and there's a light on, I panic, and I can't kill them. I can't kill anything. Maybe mosquitoes, especially the ones from Birkenhead, the ones that end up in Italian hotel rooms. That is Birkenhead. I know I grew up near there. I grew up in Wales. Mosquitoes on the fourth floor. Mosquitoes, fourth floor, fourth floor. No good rooms, 101 to 111. It's tricky, this, because they only show their wirral roots when they're flying. Otherwise, they speak in English with a very heavy Neapolitan accent. And they have walkie-talkies or mozzy-wozzies. Room 117, big fat ass hanging out of double bed. 33311 going in, Giovanni, Enzo and Georgia. But you know what? I'll raise you 1,200 Italian mosquitoes for one big, heavy, bastard, directionless death moth. Apparently, according to mum, one flew not over a cuckoo's nest, but into my pyjama top. And it flapped and panicked and thwomped and thwacked, trapped in chubby boy's electric blue nylon, easy to wash, piss out of PJ top. It's little wonder I had palpitations, recurring nightmares. Darling, what do you mean a cart's being pushed around Flint Town Hall with dolls in it? Little wonder I turned to David Bowie. I found Hunky Dory. And that feeling that there was a whole future ahead of me somewhere else showed itself. The moths went away, the panic stopped, and my bed was forever dry. Well, if you see what I mean. Adventures of you before me. It was all there in your phone. Crazy days of endless fragrant summers, rocks and desert. Huge mandala platters of painstakingly prepared banquet. Football, frisbee, basketball, cats and fruits and cars and mountains. Repeated images of familiar faces. And that one friend that had posted your laptop and you never got it. It never arrived. It was the first time I'd seen you 
disturbed by something. In a year when we were marked by distances, the long days, the long road to the kitchen from the sofa, unswervingly the same every night, that walk in those new shoes, striving for the 10,000 steps, I did it, I did it. My little steppy app has a very tall, slender column in rust orange, 14,791 steps, and then something about floors and upstairs, and that included getting home. Zoom calls, a birthday, a significant birthday of my friend Susie, Susan George, the beautiful, clever actress who breeds Arabian horses and can sing, really sing. Her big 70, she won't mind me telling you this, was in two parts, afternoon and evening. I was evening. It was to do with distance and the world and where we were. And there suddenly was Olivia Newton-John. I tried not to be too fanboy. She was in Australia. I was in Lambeth North. Susie was in the West Country, looking like an angel. I sang a song I'd written for you, Susie, for your beloved Simon, the fine actor Simon McCorkindale, cruelly taken from you way too soon. And he informs your every move, your every thought, Susie, for now a strengthener, a way to embrace your kindness and your determination to help so many other sufferers. Damn that distance thing, though. We were getting quite good at the idea of voice and piano, me and you. We did a little concert in your piano room after a remarkable horse show. Horse show. Not my usual thing. Not the thing I run to, but I was fascinated and moved by these beautiful animals, Susie, and your extraordinary connection to them. Damn that distance. Blocked and locked, clocked, locked down. I'll get back to that piano, Susan, bloody George. You're hardly in Tristan da Cunha. You're in the West Country. But thank you for that long phone call. You sensed my troubled soul. Adventures of you during me. You were that thing, inextricably linked, yet you, I think, could drink a case of me and still have room for a quick milkshake on the way home. That case of you thing, that's Joni Mitchell, who has guided me through so many of these things throughout the years. We came to a warm arrangement. That's Joni too, the second time around. I won't go into detail here, but it was getting to what you always wanted, I think, which was slightly less than my own requests. Pal, fella, mate, buddy, lover, nutter, fuckwit. You'd imagine we could add friend to this genial lineup. I don't know. I don't know anything. Does anyone know anything? You have your family and they need you there. Christ, I've even combed my hair. Songs, lyrics, poems, novels, guidebooks, letters. The New Yorker, Maya Angelou and Joan Didion. The sheer distance from these to me, these to me, to you, is actually further than London is to North Africa. But that's just my party, my problem, my life in words, not yours. Unfair to expect you to even begin to understand this. I sent you many words, songs even, songs that have jangled many a morning for me. I even wrote you a poem. My love plays football in the park, winter now, a light, a spark. You sing sweet words I don't understand. I find your eyes, you find my hand. You know my ways, my thoughts, my day. You kiss and laugh the troubles away. I may not be the perfect fine, but for most I'm sure I'm strong, I'm kind. You're clever, funny, a troubled soul. I want you to score your every goal. My love played football in the park. The days get short, 
cold and dark. I miss you when you're not with me, your hands, your eyes especially. Recounted tales. You don't like hearing that, do you, Ian? No, but I never really hear them. I close my eyes and count to ten, and when I open them, you're gone again. This time, you won't be lost without me. I won't be everywhere. Your perfume, your shoes, the red jumper, and so many photos on the beach, in my city, on the beach, my flat on the beach, my head, the beach, my heart, the beach, my phone. I found you again today. A pair of running shoes, a white vest, two souffle dishes, green food colouring, and that fucking photo of us sitting on the beach. It's been in and out of the bin three times. I didn't find you in my books, my music. I didn't find you in the friends you never met. You may be in my head, my heart and my sock drawer, but that'll change. I wish I'd kept that to myself, to be honest. In fact, a lot of this, probably all of it, but I'm only talking to myself anyway, no one's listening. Maybe one day you will find a quiet corner in or out of the sun and you'll drink it all in, all that beauty, not the noisy silence of Instagram, not the matrix that is all our smartphones, all our screenshots, TikTok, Snapchat. It's kind of endless, really. And atom by atom, bite by bite, tag by tag, it sucks us into each other's imagined lives. You know, where everything is lighter, brighter, easier to remember, yet harder to forget. Today I your chariot horse Tomorrow I'm your albatross Suspended by the finest threads No one could ever see You'll find one thing, one poem or song or film, and I don't mean Game of Thrones, that will astound you. All that beauty will suddenly be yours. All that music you've yet to hear, yours. It'll rehydrate, reboot and respect you. It'll be all the colour your next painting needs. All the flavour your beautiful cooking can take. Or cocking. All the goals you score, the lovers you kiss, the mountains you climb, the waves you fight. It'll be everything everything you see through your camera and everything you feel in your bones and it'll be suddenly as close as your mama is when she strokes your head. And the distance? It doesn't matter. If you can walk a thousand miles into the edges of the Sahara Desert, you can walk anywhere. Let it go, you said. So I did. Adventures of you after me? You'll be fine. You always were. And me, I'll get there. I always did. Column Inches, 2009 
A column calamity has occurred today, having a limited, nay, point-blank refusal to embrace anything that resembles computer pragmatics, copying, pasting, tools, files, and all things attachable. And should it really read Windows is shutting down? Like the shops is closed? No, quite. Thank you. I finish my column with lip-smacking smugness and a desire for your delightful titan-dressed editor to lap up the laptopped words of post-ironic comic wonderment with cries of hats off, Ian, a genius, and oh, column king of the Western world, and we must quadruple the modest stipend proffered for these life-affirming paragraphs of gleaming insight and sparkling repertoire. Click. After dropping Johan at the easy bus stop at a quarter to milk float this morning so he could easy zoom over to easy Switzerland and easily catch the second computer science seminar of the day at Zurich University, I drove through the grey early dawn from a delightful deserted Victoria to my basement flat in Lambeth North. A few snatched hours curled up with Ash, the cat, tortoise shell, from upstairs. He climbs in through the bedroom window, inspects the kitchen, pours the living room sofa, and ends up in my bed. Just after then, my lunatic fingers are tippy-tappy-happy on the keyboard again. Johan gave me the final absolute step-by-step surefire closing gesture to cyber-send my thousand and one words. One slip of the drag down at some point of computer mind fug, and whoops, there goes my column. A farce starring me, Ash the Cat, and a cooling cup of decaf, now pouring cold comfort on my insanely depressing new situation black comedy, No Column Land. No amount of loving words from my significant other to assure me that, although I should have done the column before, these things happen and it's all going to be fine, could remove the notion that I'm living in a new world with new ways and alien procedures that resolutely refuse to be part of my daily routine. My excuse has thus been a pathetic whine that all things creative that I love to do eclipse the access roads, the bypasses and the fast tracks that are necessary to facilitate the frippery that pays my mortgage. Whatever, darling. Save as. Johan was very patient on the phone earlier today, explaining, well, that my column must be, must be somewhere, 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 and it's just the same as throwing it in the bin. I'm here to tell you that this holds no water. You could get it out of the bin. It may have a tea bag and some eggshells stuck to it, but uncrumple, and there it is. My burning yearning for all that's simple and, by definition, therefore, appropriate and profound when necessary, is compounded these days by the endless dump truck that is celebrity. Nobody has that breathless starstruckness anymore because... W.H. Smith's swathes of glossy mags that trumpet the shock and bewilderment of Madonna getting divorced. Who cares? Who really cares? Oh, hang on. Me. Because I stood in the newsagent yesterday and I sped red, or is it speed red? The whole postmodern maelstrom that is La Mediocre's marital mashup. Oh, was anyone as starstruck as me seeing Kate Bush's first ever live show at the Liverpool Empire in 1978? Nah. None of this could be downloaded, that's Kate, I mean, on the stage. Or come to think of it, lost. Unless you left it somewhere, but you can't. You can't leave Kate Bush in a phone box. So being lost in starstruck space was, I think, a very different trip when I was a teen. 
My mother is still convinced that it was Bowie, Boland and the Sweet that steered and detoured my burgeoning sexuality in the late 70s. I can see it in her eyes. It could have easily been a careful watch on the historical antics of the divas Callas, Garland and Davis, Bet, not Steve. And although these girls were a sparky solace and a fluffy escape route from all things North Walesian, like rugby, brass bands and abject racism, it was the aforementioned roster of glam and glitz that had me glued to Top of the Pops every Thursday evening. Gatefold sleeves on records were absorbed, traced and coloured in with coloured foil onto black sugar paper at school. The Sunday's Top 20s were taped with the previously described tape machine. Then, if I borrowed Chris White's similar appliance, a natty voiceover of your own could replace that of Tom Brown's in a sound engineering feat so complex, involved and unlikely, it pissed all over anything that was happening at Abbey Road. Burn. My own particular brand of starstruckness continues to this day. While the early icons have included kings and queens of England, Florence Nightingale, Valerie Singleton, Sweep and Orinoco Womble, I shook his velvety red glove paw, remember, at the stiflingly hot Shrewsbury Flower Festival in the hot summer of 1976. Attach. I remember years ago seeing Sarah Vaughan, the jazz singer, at the Festival Hall. It was one of her last ever shows, and she was magnificent, a Rolls Royce of jazz singing. Clad in pink chiffon, she trotted out an effortless two hours of the most awe-inspiring singing I will ever hear. Notes were elongated just for the sheer hell of it. The caramel contralto, caressing Gershwin lyrics like they were designed for the Divine One. Chromatics were teased into elastic. I wept in the cheap seats. It was as if Sarah Vaughan was singing just for me that evening, and all my early twenties angst suddenly reconfigured and rebooted and felt very different. I wanted to be able to do this so much. This wasn't mere fandom. This was a lesson in how a singer of popular song can make each carefully crafted lyric a conduit for all human condition. Starstruck? Well, I don't know. Struck by a star, definitely. Close window. That feeling, that precious moment on that rainy night on the South Bank, galvanised by the colour of memory, cannot be downloaded, burned, copied or pasted. Fact. Shut down. Not Even Music, written and read by Ian Shaw, was produced by Jamie Safir. Original music by Tristan Ryder. <laughs>